0: Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca and today we have a new episode with Beatrice Chiocioli. We talked about working in the humanitarian field, specifically working with migrants and asylum seekers. We talked about Beatrice's NGO and what it means to be a job fairy on LinkedIn. Hi Beatrice, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. Um... How are you? How is the weather in Madrid? We said that we are in the same country, exceptionally.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is this is very weird, but yeah, we're in the same country. And well, I'm in Madrid. I'm doing great. Um, I love Madrid. But as we were talking before, um, the before we started recording, you are in Barcelona, which is actually my favorite city. So, uh, how is over there?
1: It's it's absolutely awesome. We're having. Uh, warm winter so I'd say climate change is real unfortunately but uh, yeah I'm also enjoying the the beach and the mountains around Barcelona so I absolutely love being here but as we were saying before Madrid is also a great city so we we can't pick one out of the two and uh, um, yes it's it's great to be here
0: well as someone in Madrid I think I would pick Barcelona if I could if I could (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so why don't you tell us something else about you except the fact that you're living in um in barcelona so like who are you who is beatrice chioccioli uh what do you do in life uh where do you come from and you know something else all
1: right so as i've mentioned to you i haven't prepared the my answer so this is gonna come across as very spontaneous hopefully um my name as you mentioned is beatrice so you can hear it even though it's spelled the same in many languages that i'm italian as you are and uh, i haven't lived in italy for 10 years i think oh sorry i haven't lived in my hometown for 10 years but um and barcelona is the 10th city as well where i'm living (laughs) since i was born so it's been it's been a crazy ride um i've studied my Um, my university education mostly in France in the south and in Paris and I've done an Erasmus year exchange in Spain and then I, I was in Salamanca for one year. Oh my
0: god I love Salamanca. This is not the Salamanca episode but I love Salamanca. I've also been there to study Spanish when I was in high school. It's one of the best places to to learn Spanish and just if right. you're a student, if you're, like, below 23, I guess, like, that's your city.
1: Exactly. I remember, like...
0: And it's so beautiful, and it's so cozy. The street, like, I don't know, everything is so nice.
1: I barely spoke any Spanish, to be honest, because it's so full of Erasmus students. I was mostly yeah, speaking, you know, like, English, French, whatever. But it, it, you're right, it's a, it's a plain Spanish, so it, it was great for me to, you know... Um, also practice the language of course um, we we had a lot of parties as Erasmus should be uh, as yeah. well um, but yeah so <laughs> uh, I, I, that that was about my my years of, of education and then since since then um, I've also decided to come back to Italy I worked in in migration uh, since 2015 so it was a great place to start Italy of course because Unfortunately, uh, there is a lot of need in in the asylum and migration sector. Then um, I've been working as a humanitarian professional in in Greece um, twice, uh, so on the field at the border with Turkey. Um, And I've also done a short mission with another um, disaster relief NGO in the Caribbean um after that I think I went back to Paris to work for my NGO that we were talking about before that I co-founded when I was in uni and since then I've been back in Greece (laughs) where uh COVID hit um and so I decided that it was a good moment to you know um, maybe take a break from the humanitarian sector settle down in uh in very enjoyable city, which I always wanted to try and live in, which is Barcelona. So now I'm here, I'm working in a slightly different sector um, for a News Corp. I'm basically doing news analysis um, and I'm a research editor, formally that's my, my title. And on the side, I'm obviously consulting for nonprofits, um, trying to be active on LinkedIn. I was unemployed for quite a while during, um, during the move from, from Greece to, to, to here. So I tried to make the best out of it. And I, I think I answered all of the questions. Let me know <laughs> if I...
0: No, that. yeah, you, you definitely did. You definitely did. Uh, can I just ask you, like, what's your hometown in Italy?
1: Absolutely. I, I grew up in Florence, at the oh, outskirts wow. of the city. Yes, my, my parents still live there. So it's a nice place to go back to for, for holidays.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, of course, Florence is amazing. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about your uh your NGO later on because you you said it's it's in the asylum and migration sector. But before before getting there, you know, you said that in Italy we we have a lot of need to you know like tackle the issue like to improve um how we integrate and we work with uh, migrants and asylum seekers. But what made you get closer to the um, to, to the whole sector like why why were you so interested in uh, in this field
1: to be honest with you i just think it's fair that that there is a functioning system for people who come to europe because i don't see why there wouldn't be you know um mm-hmm. so i sadly i mean i was in paris in 2015 which is one of the richest cities in Europe, um, yeah. where in general, I have to admit one of the things that I don't like about Paris, a lot of things I like about Paris, but one that really strikes me when I'm there, it, it, it's the inequalities, right? Mm-hmm. From between the, the richest uh, aspects of the city and in 2015, the the, the asylum seekers, they it, it wasn't um, a, the place to be, basically. Uh, the hosting sector for migrants uh, was completely uh, completely broken. A lot of people were living in squats. Uh, a lot of people had major difficulties accessing legal aid. So I, I don't know why, but it just clicked. Um, as soon as I arrived to Paris, all of this situation was unfolding all across Europe and Paris was one of the epicenter being a great, uh, a, a big metropolis now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, I think I, I watched a documentary by Vice which is called Fortress Europe. And I was so sad, like so impacted. And, and so, you know, like most people will tell you that migration is their passion and that they mm-hmm. want to help people. I don't know if I have the same, so if I'm completely honest, I, I don't know if that's just like a vocation um, about being good towards people, it's just that I don't think it's fair that human rights violation happen in Europe, if that makes sense. So I always tried to, you know, work in this sector where I saw that there could be potential improvement for people to access their basic human rights.
0: No, that's 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 actually a, a really good point. I mean, like, because um, you know, of course, you don't. I mean, it's also weird when people actually have a um, have a passion um, to work in the sector. Like, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, like having a passion, maybe to talk to um, to strangers, like help them, like help helping other people. Maybe that 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 can be um, one of the reasons why some people are very very much into the the whole atmosphere. But I, I you know, like I. Uh, I've never worked in the um, asylum sector nor like in the migration sector like directly, but it is for the most part heartbreaking. Heartbreaking too, you know, like because uh, you hear about a lot of stories when you give support when you try to to give moral support. You know, it's uh, it's usually like heartbreaking stories that, you know, also when you talk to uh, asylum seekers, they they also try to brush it off. Like it's kind of like they tell you these crazy stories. And then it looks like for them, they, they they talk about it as if, I don't know, they just went, I don't know, as if it was nothing, as if it wasn't like a big deal, like everything like they they had to go through, which is right. crazy to me, you know, like it, it's kind of crazy to me. And and then when you hear like, you know, these heartbreaking stories, you know, uh, I don't know, like this is something that, you know, like I would, I would think that it's, it, it might be too overwhelming to me, like I wouldn't, uh, for me, like I wouldn't necessarily work in this sector in this field for a long time. Like to be honest, I think it's uh it's one of those sectors that, you know, kind of sucks your um energy a little bit. Or isn't it? Like I don't know cuz I again, I never worked directly, so um you had more experience. So
1: Right. I mean, you said many things that are completely right. Um I've never to be honest, I know that you're going to do an episode on asylum based on um, claims on particular from particular social groups, so like gender and uh sexual orientation. So I, I give you a hint. I've never ever in five years that I've done legal aid interviews. So like coached people to go to their asylum interview. Yeah, they have yeah. sort of a, you know, like just for your listeners, we they have to go through this big interview, which is like a job interview. But depending from the country in Europe that you're doing it, it can last like from a couple of hours to eight straight hours, and they ask you all all sorts of aspects of your past life, like yeah. your family members, where did you live, you know, and obviously like why did you leave your country in detail. So you have to go through all the traumatic experiences that led to the decision of leaving your home country. So I've never, ever in five years that I've done this um, encountered a woman um, who didn't claim that she was sexually assaulted at best, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's, that's obviously like uh, heartbreaking. But uh, the interesting thing is that in many cases, um, asylum seekers are not aware that they have the right to be in Europe so most of the times I was like explaining the definition you know of what an asylum seeker is and what kind of permits of staying they are requiring that mm-hmm. they are requesting and people would just go ah then I don't have a I don't stand a chance like I, I don't fit in this definition I don't have a reason to be here and then we would go through their story which was exactly and then they, like
0: the, these crazy stories
1: Exactly. So uh, that, that most, most people ask me, ah, you know, but do asylum seekers, you know, try to fake it um, in order to get their permit? And it's actually the opposite. Most people I've known, they, they don't fake it at all. They don't have the resources or the education or the self-confidence after everything that they've gone through to fake their claim. They mostly, um, in most cases, at least uh, think that they don't have the right to be there while they do have. Uh, if we uh, believe to their stories, no. Um, so this is one thing. And when you mentioned how, mm, like, how the risk of burnout is real for people in yeah. the sector, I think everyone should have a deadline. Um, especially when you're working in the so-called field. I don't like this expression because it really um, make me think of a colonialist perspective of us, you know, like the white people who go to the field. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's very good to go into the sector with a deadline for any specific assignment that you have, uh, deployment, no. any specific mission, if you want to call it like this. And I'm not saying that you should have in mind that you're going to leave your job, but it's, it's very draining if you're going to do it good. So people tend to forget about their self-care and that an empty vase can't, water plants you know
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly i mean that's that's um that's the whole thing you know like you're gonna be like so exhausted you know like you cannot really help so you know you need to get your get your energy back up to then you know continue working so yeah i think like this this sector is is one of the um is one of the fields that you know like i i would love to work in this field like or at least volunteer uh, for some time but you know like not um dedicate you know like full time for like i don't know five to ten years like no I I really would not see me uh, see myself doing this because I know that you know like I would immediately feel I don't know like bad <laughs> you know for for all the for all the things that you know like uh, you give for granted I mean like when I um, yeah I mean <laughs> you kind of spoil spoil the next episode but it's gonna it's gonna come like in a couple of months so it doesn't really matter um, Oops, sorry we'll <laughs> forget that you know like there's a, an episode that is gonna come up which is yes on on claims of asylum based on a sexual orientation and gender identity and you know when since you know like i dedicated like most of my uh, academic career focusing on 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 this field on this issue um setting you know like what the court of justice of the european union decided so you know like and and then how member states of the european union have adapted uh, the um, uh, court of justice sentences and it's It's crazy how before some sentences by some judgments by the Court of Justice of the European Union, some countries would would be okay or directly ask to queer asylum seekers to show video evidences of them being you know, basing their asylum on being gay, you know, on being homosexuals. Which is crazy. You're asking someone for some explicit material to prove that because also like you know the main issue with with that with accepting a, a video proof to uh, assess someone's sexual orientation is, is also that you know you're basically basing someone's sexual orientation on a video and on a sexual act then you know Absolutely. as you said like you know if they really want to if they really want to fake it they can also you know do it just once and then get the asylum you know like that's you know that 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 was really that was really stupid. And thank God the uh, court of justice was like, guys, please don't, you know, like please don't do this anymore. Um, and um, so now you know, like it's it's actually harder than now to um, to assess um, sexual orientation, like for uh, during the asylum process. But again, it's something that you know, like um, uh, courts, uh, like national courts, need to get used to it. Like local courts need to get used to it and need to improve their, um, their ways of assessing asylum in general, not only like someone's sexual orientation, but, you know, who's fit, quote unquote, for asylum. But yeah, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's go to a nicer topic. Like, let's, you know, maybe we're, we're um, bringing down the morale. So let's talk about the, uh, the NGO that you founded. Uh, when did you found it? How did it happen? When did it happen? Let's talk about it. And what's the name of the NGO? All
1: right, so it's called Refugees Bienvenue in French, which is the French chapter of um, today, a much bigger movement, which is Refugees Welcome International. So um, you probably heard of it because it exists in different um, countries of Europe and also outside of Europe. Um, There's a big chapter in Italy, a chapter in Spain, We have um, another big chapter in Germany, which was one of the first to be called um, Refugees Welcome. And in my case, um, after watching the famous documentary I said before, I decided to just go, I don't know, distribute food. I guess Uh, there was this one organization that was gathering food for people who were squatting in a... mm, informal settlement in Paris so I decided to go there and one specific day I was obviously the only white person there I don't know why like I went alone I sort of went at night and uh, I was immediately spotted by another guy who was um, then to become the co-founder of the NGO and we started talking about uh, what are you doing here Uh, what do you think of the situation so we just randomly met and uh, my friend emile who is uh, who was to become the first co-president of the of the organization together with some of his classmates we we put the organization together and uh, also like some life gets uh, different different turns now. so we we found that we we had some friends in common so in my hometown where i'm from in florence there is um, a university course, which is in partnership with the University of Paris to study law. So obviously, a lot of law students who were doing this course um, that were also from Florence, some were my former schoolmates. Um, they were really interested in migration at this time, so some of them were then part of the original group that created the organization with one of them. We're still in touch and uh Elena she is now working in Greece with my uh one of my former employers Avocats frontières so uh oh. you know just it's a big network that uh, keeps coming along uh, people exchanging ideas and how they think that it should be uh, important to 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 help
0: no, yeah, I mean it, it's it's really it's really interesting how you know like basically your whole network also was involved in um, in this. And then yeah. you, and then you said that your um, your organization became part of this network that is now refugees welcome.
1: Exactly. So they all work more or less the same. For your listeners, I will just summarize it like this. It's like a couch surfing which Um, it's like a couch surfing of high quality for asylum seekers, meaning a lot of asylum seekers, when they arrive to different countries in Europe, either they don't get a spot in hosting centers, especially if you're a man, and if you don't have any disability or illness, like if you're in good shape, you're the last one on the list, right? Pregnant women go uh, before you, which is understandable, stuff like that. But um, the the system is completely broken and in 2015, but still to this day, there were really not enough uh, spaces to accommodate people in public hosting centers managed by the state so, especially in Paris, a lot of people were sleeping in the street in informal settlements. Um, Some of them were you know dying of of cold it's extremely cold in Paris in the winter Um, so. The idea that we had was to get even one person out of the street and make it a meaningful experience, both for the asylum seeker and for the people who were gonna live with them. So we sort of found local families. They didn't have to be French, but they had to, you know, have some decent space in the house to accommodate a person. And then, Put them in touch with the asylum Seeker so that they could, you know, be hosted for like a, a period of time that was not too short, so that the person could rebuild uh, his or herself, and they could practice the language, they could start to build a network in the in the society that they were hosted in, and eventually be more and more included. And as I was telling you before, the results were incredible. So. I think 95% of the people in the first two years um, that were in this program got their asylum, which is a much higher rate than the national average. I think it was at 17%, something like this. So the difference was very huge, and um, just you know witnessing um, how the relationships were going between the families and the asylum seekers in most of the cases it was extremely beneficial on both sides many families went back to us multiple times so they hosted multiple people throughout the oh, years and nowadays um like the the organization is still working um in in so refugees welcome international now counts 15 chapters i want to say across the world but uh the one in france is also like it it has grown we have Um, interns we have a project coordinator we we have people who work for the organization and still volunteers of course but you know the project is uh, going on
0: oh that that's amazing I mean it's also good that you mentioned the fact that that you know there are interns because you know like if you um, if you want us to repost some uh, internships of the organization on our platform we will do it you know Cause since our target audience is mainly uh, young adults and teenagers, we also wanna help out people to find internships, you know, like either curricular or extracurricular curricular internships. So that's great that you you mentioned that.
1: That's awesome, yes. Uh, I, I think like the, the a lot of these chapters have paid staff. So like in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, in france right now and and elsewhere as well i believe in austria maybe Uh, they're very active and a lot of them have paid stuff
0: okay that's great i mean that that, that's amazing the fact that it's also um paid staff but i wanted to ask you because you're also like a job fairy right (laughs)
1: i feel more like gandalf than a job fairy so (laughs) i don't know how should i call myself um but yeah this is a term that has been invented i don't know exactly by who but on the linkedin community so just to give some background to your listeners so last year i decided to move to spain i as we said I believe that everyone should have a deadline when they work in the humanitarian field. So I set my deadline to July, 2020 for the job that I had in Greece uh, on the island of Samos at the border with Turkey, where I was you know, uh, managing this uh, legal aid operations for this uh, French NGO uh, called Avocats San contierre So when I stopped there, I went trekking, <laughs> hiking <laughs> for a month just to uh, you know be alone in nature and social distance in every sense of the of the way and um, and then I decided to move to Spain uh, so I didn't have a job waiting for me here and I thought while looking what can I do with the jobs that don't interest me but that I inevitably find on LinkedIn on other platforms I was trying to you know look everywhere because of course uh, like i wanted a job as soon as possible but at the same time i was getting a lot of the same jobs that i did in the past which i i didn't want to do i wanted to stay in spain for a while so everything else that was you know migration related maybe geneva is a migration hub Brussels yeah. is an immigration hub. I had a lot of contacts in Paris because of the NGO and, and, and my studies. So I didn't want to move to the cities. I didn't want to go back to the so-called field um, outside of Europe. So what, what should I do with all of these vacancies and offers and opportunities for young people like me? I started to share them on LinkedIn. And the response was unbelievable to the point that like, I tried to stop when I eventually found a job. Uh, I said, okay, I don't have time to, you know, do both or it's not necessary anymore, but people keep writing to me and, you know, asking for advice. So I think this is a, a valuable service in a way that I can, that I can do to the community. Um, people seem to be, to be interested in, in finding more vacancies and discovering more ways to, you know, uh, work in the social, social impact sector. Yeah, so
0: yeah. Which is a, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to, <laughs> I'm sorry to cut no, you off. No, please, go on. <laughs> um, um, yeah, you were talking about the social uh, impact sector. Can you like explain it first?
1: Right. So I imagine the social impact sector, I don't know if it's something that really exists, but it's, for me, it's uh, a series of, meaningful opportunities that are jobs, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do believe that a job should be a job and it should not you know, eat too much of your personal life. I believe the, like, especially in pandemic times, those two, two areas of your life should be separated. Otherwise your personal life is gonna disappear completely and everything you do is gonna be uh, NGO related or like social work related. Whatever, yeah. So I, I think this is one of the risks of people that work in this sector to you know, have no friends that talk about different things. I, I've been there. So this is why I allow myself to, to see the things like this. So I, I wanted to explore what opportunities uh, there were aside of purely like asylum NGOs. And I believe that as long as I'm doing something that I'm ethically okay with, Uh, As long as I'm doing something useful in my job, that it's not purely dull, um, that it's maybe, you know, like working towards inclusion, um, fostering diversity and innovating the world. Anything can be social impact sector, as long as it's doing a service to the world and it's not, I don't know, selling weapons, you know. Um, Um. So basically how i select the stuff that i post is stuff that interests me and that i would work in if i need i would need to or if i was living in the city where this job is you know it's stuff that i would apply so it has good conditions uh only paid stuff, no unpaid internship that's another very important requirement of course yeah exactly right and then there is a group of people that um does the same thing and so Somebody called us once the job fairies, and I think the term sticks. Uh, It's mostly women, which is also very nice. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's true. Women
1: doing unpaid jobs, unpaid uh, labor. No, but (laughs) jobs aside, yes, it's mostly... Also getting encouraged to
0: continue doing uh, unpaid labor.
1: right but we do only share paid vacancies i don't know yeah, of yeah, anyone yeah. that that pay like uh, usually i see also more of a backlash towards people that uh, share unpaid internships i don't think they deserve to be insulted you know like people that say oh this great opportunities at the un and then it's an unpaid internship i don't i don't think they they deserve the backlash but maybe they don't deserve the visibility because there are many other opportunities out there which are paid and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with decent decent hours and and that decent tasks also, you know, like an interesting job, an internship where you can actually learn something and not just bring the coffee around to your colleagues.
0: So. One hundred percent. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, okay, so I think we um, we're running up uh, out of time. <clears throat> I think we're running out of time. So thank you, thank you, thank you for um, for being our guest. Uh, I really hope we can do another episode together because it was very interesting to, to have you with us. So yeah, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Luka. It was fantastic.
0: <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked our episode, please consider rating us five stars and share the podcast with your friends. It would mean a lot to us.